um, manning the board is uh, a slightly bewildered um, editor of the Pittsburgh City Paper. <laughs> Wasn't intending to do this today, but has stepped in uh, because there's no other person willing to um, attempt it. So I hope we're up and running. Let me know. Somebody email me, please, uh, at Lynn at PGH City Paper, and tell me we are, in fact, on. You know, Charlie, if you put the headphones on, can you hear me? That That's a good idea, huh? Do you see any? <laughs> it's going to be a little dicey around here until we uh, find a replacement for Steven. Yeah, I don't see it. And Charlie's telling me we have lots of good candidates. Okay. Okay. Charlie has uh, left the building. Oh dear. So I'm here on my own right now and um I feel I, I somehow I feel like I'm this isn't happening. Is this happening? Somebody maybe my mail's not working. Somebody let you know you we're up and you can hear me because this is ridiculous. Um thank you. Okay. You don't have to do it anymore. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Okay, got a bunch of you. Thank you. <laughs> so silly. I just feel like I'm not quite here. Maybe I think the audio in my head is not as strong as it usually is, so I feel like I'm talking to myself. So anyway, the big election is tomorrow. That would be the uh, 18th Congressional uh, District in Pennsylvania, which is, of course, uh, attracting an awful lot of uh, attention, attracting, in fact, the, uh, the president who uh, showed up on, on Saturday in his inimitable style, uh, which is uh, classless, crass, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, and attracting an audience that uh, one could also apply those two adjectives to. Uh, it, it really a uh, dispiriting uh, display. Uh, Charlie, we are on. My audience has told me that. If you could just jack up my um, my audio in my ear a little bit, if you know which one that is. Uh, uh, give it a shot, and I'll let you know, because I just sort of feel like I'm not hearing myself very well. So uh, the Saccone and, no. I think you do it on, on that board, on the slider thing. Yeah. No. Yes. Yes. Better. 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 Okay. Fine. Thank you very much. <laughs> I mean, he has a paper to put out and edit. I'm sorry. All right. Okay. Not my fault. It isn't my fault. I've always to be you always wanted to what? Oh. 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 Okay. Like I even know Gelman from Regis and Kathy Lee. I don't know. You watch Regis and Kathy Lee? No. No, it's just uh, ah. Sort of uh, oh, yeah. he's a pop culture kind of. Ep SNL a every okay, SNL. Everybody knows except me. I don't watch SNL. Anyway, I want to say this uh, first of all about this race. Well, it's not about the race. It's about the effing Pittsburgh Post Gazette. Um, I got to tell you. When I saw in Sunday's paper 
right there up at the top, Saccone for Congress. I actually said out loud, that's it. That's it. I had just renewed my subscription. That's it. I'm, I can't. This is not the paper that I subscribe to. It's a right-wing paper now. And the coup is, uh, it's total. John Robinson Block, whose paper it is, has turned a arrogant and deaf ear to the concerns of his staff, of his own family, of the foundations in the city, of pretty much given a finger to absolutely all of us and doubled down by bringing in this guy, Keith Burris, who now has more titles than one can imagine. He is the editor. He is the vice president. He is the editorial director, not just for our paper, but for the Toledo paper as well. And since he penned that noxious editorial that appeared on Martin Luther King Day of all days, in which he equated what? I, I mean, it was it was so unbelievable that foundations wrote letters saying what his own family uh, disavowed and removed. It. I mean, it was it was like suggesting that. Um, That people who say that things are racist, a statement, a person, um, are essentially no different than Joe McCarthy. It's the new McCarthyism. Oh, dear. Anyway, so um, in response to all of that, uh, he brought this guy who wrote it in to head our editorial department. And uh, so this is what we get. We are now a fully owned, um, we, the Post-Gazette, our, our one daily newspaper, is, uh, that's it. It's been uh, brought over to the uh, dark side, and it represents uh, the views now, and only the views, not of its readership, <laughs> no, but of the guy, the bow-tied jerk who owns it, okay? Uh, the privileged white male who thinks Donald Trump is the be-all and end-all, and thus now we see the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette endorsing Rick Saccone over Connor Lamb. And the reasons given are mind-blowing. I, 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 I was so angry I ripped it out without the, uh, the editorial, uh, but I, there is a little bit of it left. And it says this, that... For if the Democrats are able to take over the House of Representatives in Congress um, in the 2018 midterm elections, it says right here, it might be bad for the country. It might be bad for the country to have one branch of the government one half of one branch of the government be under the control of the Democratic Party while everything else is under the control of the Republicans, the executive branch, the Senate, 
currently the House, and you have to, since they refused to allow Barack Obama his presidential uh, right to appoint uh, a, a member, a justice of the Supreme Court, and uh, these are the Republicans again in their inimitable fashion. Uh, we got a Supreme Court now with Neil Gorsuch taking the seat uh, that should have been taken by, I'm already forgetting that poor soul's name. Do you remember? Who was the guy that was, remember he cried at his, uh, when Obama made his announcement. It was so, it was so moving to him from whence he had come. He was a guy who, by the way, Republicans in the past had voted uh, unanimously for. He was not a raging uh, lefty. He was a moderate jurist of, um, of great acclaim who now goes down in history as the guy who was denied uh, the seat that he should have been given, Merrick Garland. So uh, our uh, supposedly liberal newspaper, um, never think that ever, ever, ever again here in Pittsburgh, um, now suggests that the Democrats being allowed to actually have a majority in one half of one part of the governance of the United States of America would be, according to the PG, bad for the country. And the reason they give is mind-boggling. They say this, the Democrats have only one agenda at the moment, and it isn't health care or jobs, it is impeachment. I got to tell you something. First of all, that is not true. Yes, there are some Democrats and some folks around the country screaming impeachment, but that is not anything that I have seen the Democratic Party proffer as its uh, number one agenda item. That's just BS, crap, and this is the new editorial director and voice of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. And I have argued in the past that canceling a subscription only hurts the poor folks who are over there and have been there many for decades just trying to do the best they can do under horrific leadership, appalling leadership. And so I... I, I I'm not telling you not to. I did not because I decided I'll, I don't know. I just know too many people over there, and I don't want to hurt them any more than they're already hurting. Whatever. But this is a real nail-biter uh, coming up tomorrow. Um, or seems to be. I mean, my understanding is is that both parties uh, have polling that shows it uh, absolutely a dead heat. Um, 
or at least that's what they're telling us. Um, I think if anyone looks to be uh, ahead, it appears to be Saccone, from what I'm understanding. Uh, he's well ahead, I believe, in Allegheny County, but Allegheny County is just uh, one part of this uh, sprawling uh, gerrymandered district, which will cease to exist uh, in its current form in, in November. This whole thing is very, very, very odd. But a win for Connor Lamb would be so sweet. So sweet. Such uh, defiant pushback of the current regime and the Republicans. Uh, because, as you all know, this district went for Trump by 20 points. <laughs> and if just a little over a year since Trump took office, it turns around and gives that uh, district to a Democrat, that says a whole lot. Yes, indeedy. A whole lot. And the other good news is that by tomorrow, we will no longer be subjected to those repulsive, appalling television and radio commercials that have been polluting our um, air, our homes, our cars, um, our lives for uh, more than a month. So that's the good news. Uh, we will be feeling better. Um, after that. I hope we're feeling really good on Wednesday morning. Chris writes, I've been seeing a whole lot of lamb yard signs around North Huntington and other places nearby. Also, my sister and a few of her co-workers registered for tickets to the Trump rally so there would be empty seats. <laughs> oh, you guys. Her friend does that a lot. Laugh. Loud, lol. Um, it looked pretty crowded in there. If there were empty seats, it did. They, they, I don't think they showed uh, very much. Not that I looked. Not that I looked. What I was a bit confused about is that I flew in to Pittsburgh International Airport on Saturday night when Trump was here and his speech was what about 6:30 i heard well i think i flew in about an hour at, at 7:30 and all i know is in the past i have been on planes that have been held on the ground that have been diverted because of presidential plane, Air Force One, is in the air nearby, and everybody else has to has to stop, I guess, for security reasons. So I, I was a little surprised, and then I thought, well, maybe once he's down, what I, I guess our flight came in, he had landed, and then I guess we were not impacted. But initially I thought, wow, because, I mean, he was right right there, practically. Oh... So, yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow evening, a lot will uh, be known. 
I've got some interesting stuff to share with you. Um, if there are things you, you know, always this is true. If there are things that you want to um, talk about or have on the table, you have access, right? You have the phone uh, and you have the um, my email, which I monitor throughout, and that is lynn at pghcitypaper.com. There was a book review in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend um, about a book I had not heard of before, and I am going to try to get this guy on the show. He's a former editor of Newsweek, which has fallen on hard times. Uh, the book is called Smoke Town. Uh, the author is a gentleman named Mark Whitaker, and it is a book about Pittsburgh's black community and about when, and the author, this is his uh, contention, that Pittsburgh was once the capital of African-American culture. And he's making the claim that Pittsburgh was the capital of African-American culture at the same time that everybody said it was Harlem. That the, This is at the same time that the Harlem Renaissance, certainly something historically much more noted than anything that was going on in Pittsburgh. But he makes a hell of a case, according to the review in the Wall Street Journal. And so this should be, this book would be a source of pride for all of us, or shame in part for white Pittsburghers, and incredible pride and validation uh, of the remarkable history of uh, black Pittsburgh. Uh, his contention, and the reviewer, who really didn't know a lot of what was in this book, even though he is a professor of African American studies uh, at Washington University in St. Louis, the reviewer says that the author with makes a reasonable claim, considering the evidence that he puts forward, that black Pittsburgh was, quote, for a brief but glorious stretch of the 20th century, one of the most vibrant and consequential communities of color in American history. I mean, do we honor this history? Do we value it? I don't know. He goes on to say that the hill, he's talking about the hill that we destroyed, the political and uh, corporate Pittsburgh destroyed. He says the hill district was, quote, a black version of the story of 15th century Florence or early 20th century Vienna. And what, if you know history, Florence in the 15th century and Vienna in the early 
20th century were were where everything, where all incredible minds were congregated, where art was flourishing. He says that of our Hill District. This is a book, by the way, that is published by Simon & Schuster. Again, the title, Smoke Town. And it points out that, of course, Harlem got all the attention. Harlem got all the credit. Uh, people didn't feel they'd made it till they got there, and that's still always the case, just because New York is the biggest. And New York is where all the, you know, power uh, resides, that Pittsburgh could lay claim to uh, being every bit, if not in some cases more so, a driving force of black culture than Harlem during the Harlem Renaissance. That is mind-blowing. And it says here that Pittsburgh, because it was off the radar and didn't get its any cred, lacked the self-consciousness of Harlem and the folks there about the cultural movement that they were at the, at the prow of. And they, in Pittsburgh, there was not that anxiety about somehow being a statement. It was just happening. Now, the book is apparently, I'm saying this because I, I'm running out to get the book. I would think a lot of you will be doing the same. Smoketown has four parts to it. One, the first one is about the Pittsburgh Courier, which was, and I think most Pittsburghers know this, was at the time the most influential voice of black America. There was none, even though they came from bigger cities, as powerful as the Courier. And in large part it was because of uh, the man who came to uh, own it, Robert L. Van. And here again, if Pittsburghers don't know that name, that suggests that Pittsburgh public schools are not doing the job. Robert L. Van, a lawyer, a lawyer in 1910, that takes some doing too. He comes to Pittsburgh in 1910. He becomes the publisher, the editor of The Courier, and he put together such talent at that paper, and it had such a reach, culturally, politically, in every way. Jackie Robinson, traveling companion, when he was doing <laughs> the courageous, mind-blowingly courageous uh act of leading the integration of Major League Baseball, 
he traveled with someone from the Pittsburgh Courier. He was his traveling companion, Wendell Smith. The Courier was behind the push for integration. You hear, I never knew about this woman. Evelyn Cunningham, they say. She was the society writer for the Courier. And it says here in this book, she became one of black America's most important reporters on the civil rights movement. Did you know that? No. So there are chapters on sports, on the Crawfords and the Grays, the two Negro League uh, teams in Pittsburgh. It's, it's mind-blowing. And the guy who's reviewing it, again, an uh, African-American uh, professor of African-American studies, says of the author Whitaker that Whitaker is a storyteller and his great service in this book is pulling together a narrative that has never been fully told. Who knew that, that Pittsburgh had such a rich and varied story? about its black folk. Obviously, it talks about the music scene. Lena Horne, Billy Eckstein, Earl Hines, Earl Garner, Mary Lou Williams, Ray Brown, Roy Eldridge either grew up here or spent their formative years here. Talks about, of course, the Crawford Grill. And then it ends with what happened, the destruction. That black urban communities, even while they flourished, were in no position to protect themselves. And so the hill was demolished, wasn't it? It was demolished in the name of of progress. And the book apparently ends with August Wilson, who lived through all of that. August Wilson, who cataloged much of what happened here. And the last thing I will tell you from this review is he says, August Wilson's portrait of the hill is on its way to being likened to the most memorable depiction of a specific place in culture in all of English literature. And that's the hill. The book, I'm going and getting it today, is smoke. Town. Okay, we have a call, I hope. Caller, you there? Uh, yes, good morning, Lynn. Hi. How you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. Hey, 
gentlemen, I have, um, I don't know if you saw last night on 60 Minutes, uh, Betsy DeVos was on. Oh. So, since any indication of, like, we're talking about we're not educated in the past and currently, uh, just what, listen to Betsy talk about how she wants to privatize all the schools and make them all, you know, take all the money out of public education and put it to private schools. That's her idea of this education solution. Right. So, it, it happened in the past, and it's, it's currently happening. You're not getting the full full education. You're getting a, a shibble-shabble of things. You're getting a what? I'm uh, a shibble-shabble of, of education. You're not getting a proper education because the person at the top is deciding, let's not put money into public education. Let's put it into private schools. So you you have a... It's not for the people. It's for the elites. That's what they want, that's what they want to provide for, this, for, this, for the students of the United States. That's the way, that's what the leader wants to have happen. It's kind of like, if you're at the bottom, well, sorry about that. Fend for yourself. You know, we want to take care of the people who are, have the money. We'll put them into the good schools like Bush, or not Bush, but like Trump went to private schools. Betsy DeVos went to private schools. So they're all for that, okay, the elitism. You know, I They'll think... They'll call us elitists. Yeah, I think that the destruction, the intentional destruction or attempt to destruct public schools in this country, led by conservatives, capitalists, and, um, of right. course, Republicans, yeah. is perhaps the most despicable and destructive action that you can lay at their feet because it destroys the, the community, the sense of community that used to keep this country together. You went to public school. You went with kids who weren't like yourselves, who worshipped differently, who had different socioeconomic statuses, who thought differently. And all through public education, you got to know each other. And then you went off and you worked with each other. We don't do that anymore. There is apartheid in this country. The rich and the wannabe rich and everybody else and white flight from urban America which was fueled mostly by racism uh, also helped destroy the urban public schools and it has result I mean it has brought us to where we are there is no doubt about it I had the resources to send my child to public, I mean to private schools. I wouldn't have ever considered it. I am so opposed to them. I'm opposed to rich people who already have a leg up and their kids already have a leg up. Getting even more, wanting to get even more of a leg up by sending their kids to the best private schools. I hate this apartheid of rich and the rest of us in this country. And I disdain all of these private schools. I truly do. I know lots of people whose kids go to them and I keep my mouth shut, but I ain't keeping my mouth shut in this forum. I consider all of them to be party to the disintegration of a sense of nationhood and community 
that sustained us as a country. And we are not anymore. We are as a divided a nation as there is. And everyone who contributed to it by taking full advantage of their privilege and having that be the uppermost principle in their lives is guilty of aiding and abetting this terrible destruction. There. I said and on that on that note, this, yeah. is, this is why you're on the air. Okay. This is why God's appointed you to be on the air, because we need to hear this message. Because I'm not articulate to put, to put that all together like you just did. Okay. Because that was beautiful. I that, mean, you were preaching the gospel of, of truth. And that's what's missing so, so much in this, in this vast variety of edu, edu, and, infotainment we hear on the, on, the, on the airwaves, whether it be television, Internet, or radio, or however it comes about. Mm-hmm. But we need you to be speaking this truth because I couldn't, I couldn't ever articulate that that well as you did. Just beautiful, thank beautiful. You. Thank um, you. I was going to go on to other things, but I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay. That was, that was, I love you, Lynn. Thank Keep you. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. I'll talk to you. Okay. Bye now. Appreciate the call. Uh, I want to catch up with some emails here. I am being told that while I was on hiatus, while I was avoiding all uh, news. Uh, Mark Whitaker, the author, was uh, in Pittsburgh. He gave two lectures on the book. So you guys already knew all this. I'm sorry. <laughs> One was at the Heinz History Center, and um, I'm being told that he was great and would be a great interview. And Beth tells me her 97-year-old father is reading it now and and loving it. I'm sure I will love it too. If I were African American and Pittsburgh born and bred, I would love it even more, but it would create in me also not pride and then rage. Why do we always end up at rage? Uh, Chris writes, I recorded the Mr. Rogers documentary last night, have yet to watch it. Yeah, I saw it was on again last night. Uh, QED will replay it on Thursday um, at 8 p.m. and Friday at 4.30 a.m. Um, it is certainly worth watching. As I noted, I cried through much of it. You don't real. I can't believe he's been gone for 15 years. I can't believe it. And um, wow, how I miss him and his presence, how we all do. Uh, Allison writes, Stormy, <laughs> Stormy releasing a photo of his tiny penis or his tax returns to show how little money he ha- Why is Trump, oh, I see, I didn't see your first thing. It was in the subject line. What is Trump more afraid of? Stormy releasing a photo, photo of his tiny penis or his tax returns to show how little money he has. Also, why did he even bother to stump for Saccone? The rally was all about uh, him. Yeah. Right. Chuck Todd's a son of a bitch. Uh, Lamb, the sham. And I'm better looking than him. I, I mean, and then all those wonderful Pennsylvanians. Uh, CNN sucks. CNN sucks. We were reminded of the uh, horror of the uh, um, of the race 
for the presidency, the campaign, and how we were subjected to those crowds. They still are there. They still love them. <sighs> anyway, Allison Rice Lamb is in a win-win situation. Even if he loses, it's only by a few... Well, don't get ahead of ourselves here. It's only by a few percentage points. It's still a win. That's what they say. I say a win is a win. A uh, loss is a loss. I want to win this. I understand what you're saying. Um, but the idea here is taking the House and pushing these Republicans and Donald Trump back. Americans have a chance every time there's an election now to be heard, to be heard in the way citizens are supposed to be heard, with a ballot, with a vote. That's our voice. Chuck says, I live in the 18th. My house has been visited on three separate occasions by people campaigning for Lamb and one campaigning for Saccone. I am encouraged by the amazing number of Connor Lamb yard signs in my immediate neighborhood, but as we know, signs are not votes, and not voting has consequences. So everyone get out there and vote and take a friend to the polls with you. I agree, Chuck. I think generally that somebody who sticks up a sign is a voter. I it doesn't make any sense for somebody to care enough to put a sign in their yard and then not vote. But we need all the people with signs and certainly without signs. And um, I think there is a great eagerness on the part of Democrats in that district to be heard. And I also think there might be just enough Republicans or Democrats who voted for Trump who are disgusted by what they have wrought and will, in a partial mea culpa, uh, vote for Connor Lamb as as well. That's, that's my hope. You know, we're so used to having things when we want them, in the you know immediacy being all. Hey, now, now, that it's we've lost. If we ever had patience, we not, nobody's got it anymore. I mean, you want to know now? I want this over. I want to know. I can't live with a not knowing. I think it's sort of fun. It's suspenseful. Also, still sticking to Pittsburgh, sticking close to home. Did you read? I love this thing, even though I didn't even follow half of it. Eric Lidgey, is that how it's pronounced? Says here, he's a writer in Garfield. His, he has a blog on the ongoing history of Pittsburgh. He wrote a piece in the... Post-Gazette. This is why I can't cancel. Um, about Pittsburgh and its topography and its history combining to create a city in so many ways unlike any other. And it has to do actually with geometry, that he, the geometry of the city. That, like, New York is vertical right? A uh, city, huge city like Atlanta is horizontal. Um, Pittsburgh is diagonal, which is unusual. And it's diagonal by virtue of 
the hills, the valleys, and that point. And this article is mind-blowing. Look it up. Look it up. Here's somebody else I probably should get on the show. I'm going to start having more guests, as you know, to keep my blood pressure in check. Uh, what? The call dropped? Guys, stay with me here. Jeez, I was just going to go to the call. Huh? One minute? <laughs> Take some Viagra and try again. All right. Here's another story that I loved, and apparently everybody else did too, because the New York Times is reporting that it was viewed on its, uh, you know, they can tell how many story, what stories get read, um, viewed more than any other in its Sunday paper. And it's about a guy who, like all of us, was so... Like this, the day after the election, when Trump won. So stunned, so depressed, so sickened, so amazed in a state of such disbelief that he did something that he thought would last maybe a week or so, but has lasted the entire time that Trump has been in office. He decided the day after the election that I am not going to follow the news. I can't. I don't want to. I don't want to know what's going on. I think it will be horrific. I can't deal with it. It's bad for me. I am eschewing all news. And like I did a little of that, just slightly, like this last month, this guy took it to such an extreme that he called it the blockade. He informed everybody in his life, his family, his friends, anybody he might come in contact with, do not ever Talk to me about what's happening. He, of course, does not watch any television, does not look at a newspaper, except he does allow himself to read art uh, issue things about art because he's a sculptor. He lives in southeastern Ohio. He lives on a pig farm. I once lived on a pig farm, and it was a great place to be away from things it was and this guy reports I am emotionally healthier than I have ever felt he doesn't know anything he doesn't know think of all the things that have happened since Donald Trump he doesn't know any of it is the guy an idiot no the guy in fact was a mucky muck. Where's the company he was with? He was, uh, oh, with Nike. He was a corporate executive at Nike. 
So you can't do what he's doing without money. This is a he has created a real cocoon, which can only be created by, I think, wealth. Most people can't afford to wall themselves off like he has. He worked 12 to 14 hours a day. He was the senior director of global digital commerce. It's not like he ain't wasn't on the cutting edge of where communication happens. He worked with engineers to streamline uh, online shopping. He also had digital jobs at Disney, at Walmart, and he amassed a nice little bunch of money. And so he decided three years ago, I got enough. I'm getting out of this corporate grind, and I'm going to buy up a farm sort of near where he grew up, sort of near where his mom still lives, and that's what he did. So that's where he is. He ain't far from here. And he's an oddball, obviously. Obviously, this guy's an oddball. But he drives every day to Athens, Ohio, which is 30 minutes away from where he lives. And he starts his day with at this coffee shop. And he puts in earbuds that play white noise so he cannot by chance overhear a conversation that might be happening at another table about something that's happened. He is that meticulous. He went to visit his twin brother, who is also a mucky muck, a tech CEO in San Francisco, and strict arrangements had to be made. Newspapers kept out of sight. TV switched off. His teenage children told uh, that they could not talk to their uncle about the, you know, anything. And he says this, I know, it makes me a crappy citizen because I've taken the ostrich head in the sand approach to political outcomes that I disagree with. And I know I have the privilege of constructing uh, this world in which very little that I don't want can penetrate. So he is aware of that. And as his mea culpa... He really thought he would do this for a, a week or so, but he kept going, and now I don't. he can't imagine. He has a sister who teaches at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville. He has talked to her. He doesn't know what happened in Charlottesville. So he does have this money, and about nine months ago, he bought up about 45 acres near where he lives, former site of a strip mall, a strip mine, not strip mall, strip mine. And he is reclaiming it. He's going to restore it, protect it, live on it, preserve it, and then he is going to donate it to the public. It has a big, huge lake on it which I guess was the deepest part of the mine. And he's going to make it into this like oasis of nature that he will then give to the people. 
of the area. So that's what his, um, he's also a sculptor and an oddball, never married, lives alone, an odd guy who said, I can't do this, I can't deal with this, and so he pulled out. He's never felt better, never been healthier. I could not live like he's, I mean, that's way, 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 way over the top. But just saying, it's like moving to Canada but staying where you are. It's, uh, well, even more than that because in Canada you probably still pay some attention. Um, uh, I am sent an article that was in Axios about how Trump is privately trashing Saccone. Well, all the Republicans are trashing him. I think they're, you know, look, they're really afraid he's going to lose and they're going to blame him. They're going to say he was a lackluster candidate, which they've already been saying. It's a lackluster candidate. How do you lose this district? So they're going to blame him and deflect any, any possible you know, explanation for this stunning upset, if in fact that's what happens, uh, on them. Um, so they, they, they all think that. Um, polls suggest a tight race, it says here, toss-up, even a narrow victory would be considered somewhat of a defeat. All this we know, we know, we know. Um, Cook political report, uh, a reporter Amy Walter said this, my short answer is that one should never read too much into any one race, but this race is more than Saccone. This is a red congressional district that should go for the generic Republican, but the environment today is much worse than normal for Republicans. That's not because of Saccone, it's not because of Lamb, it's because of Trump. We all know this. And no matter how anybody tries to spin this, this is a referendum on Donald Trump. And that's why it's a toss-up. A district that just, what, 18 months, what is it, how many months, even less than 18 months ago? Nah, it's about 18 months ago, voted by 20 points for him over Hillary Clinton. Wow. Are you guys going to this anti-gun march for our lives? Is this going to be as big as, uh, are, we, are you guys doing this? We following the children's lead? Find out more about it at marchforourlives.com. Hmm? This is a full-page ad that was in the New York Times on Sunday, and uh, it is a letter to the corporate community from these kids from Parkland thanking those corporate entities that did, in some way, take action 
um, either a, against the NRA or symbolically to stand for more sensible uh, gun legislation. And uh, these kids are saying in order for this march to be the seismic moment that we want it to be, we need corporations uh, and business people to step up and help us with money, sponsor a school, some in their community, to bus those kids, get the buses together, uh, pay for buses or train tickets to get kids to Washington for this March, March 24th. I'm putting this out there because some of you might want to chip into this effort as well. March for our lives. They want it to be the march of their lives too. Marchfortheirlives.com. We all have to stand together, say these kids. Students, businesses, survivors, elected officials, leaders. We invite everyone, even if you don't agree with everything we say. Believe us, we don't always agree with each other. But we know what is happening today cannot stand. We know we want it to change. And we know this is just the beginning. Let's do this. And it's signed by these students from the school, the most recent school to be shot up. You know how I'm always, um, I have been, anybody who's listened to me for any length of time, uh, knows that I have always <laughs> said that if Darwin were here, he would freak out. He would say, oh my God, it never occurred to me that humans could take control of their evolution, could speed it up through their own invention and technology. And I, I have talked about the fact that we humans are still, we're not you know, much different from the cavemen that preceded us. So even though we have this capacity to move things so quickly, our brains, our, our psyches are uh, really struggle to keep up, which is, I think, one, the main reason for all the stress in our lives. We can't keep up anymore. And I have always said that what human beings clearly are going to do is self-cyborg guys. We're already going there, right? And I've been saying this for 20 years or 30 years, and everybody's been saying, she's nuts, she's nuts, she's nuts. I am so not nuts that now there's whole... There are brilliant people who are no science agreeing with me. This latest one was in the Sunday PG, uh, chairman of an institute that um, works for Bezos, and it's a think tank uh, about uh, the future. And this guy just flat out says that because technology is going like this, 
uh, we humans are going to have to end up co-evolving with the artificial intelligence, the robots, all this stuff that we create. And that's the way we're going to maintain any measure of control. And he says this, it could mean the emergence of a new species, a co-evolved human-machine hybrid form capable of dramatically new and perhaps even undreamed-of forms of calculation, cognition, emotion, even consciousness itself. In other words, we humans are engaged in a complex process of co-evolution in conjunction with the machines we are creating. And the biggest problem facing us humans right now is how can we ensure that this co-evolution is mutualistic with artificial intelligence and not antagonistic. Because if AI ever gets the upper hand and sees us as nothing but <coughs> trouble, we're in trouble. And he comes to this, this is his solution. If super intelligent artificial, if super intelligent AI arrives at the possibility of world domination, we want to be sure that it sees itself as part of us and does not regard us merely as a disposable nuisance. This is the best way that we can safeguard our species. So he suggests perhaps our goal should be to instill in our AIs an ancient Asian idea, which is filial reverence. Filial, to feel reverence for those who begot you for your parents. So he's looking at AI now as our children, and since we're programming them, we damn well better start programming into them a reverence for their human developers. Only by insisting on thinking of human and AI as a single, conjoined, inseparable system will we be sure that we will survive. Hello. That is true. I've been saying the truth for a long time. You guys have thought I was a whack job, and it is true. Two quick emails, and we got to say goodbye. The national media has been camped out here in the area all weekend, and now we're starting to see these coffee shop interviews. I've seen a few of them. They always interview people who voted for Trump and are hoping to find Lamb supporters among them. If these interviews are any indication, Lamb is going to fall way short. You can't go by what some friggin' out-of-state guy comes in and who he happens to bump into at whatever particular coffee shop he's gone into. Do not go by that. Sorry, everybody who's freaking out, just take some deep breaths and wait until tomorrow evening when we will know. Gigi says, yes, I'm going to the Pittsburgh March. Though there's a Pittsburgh March for our lives, as are several of my friends and colleagues. 
it would be another big letdown for these kids if I didn't attend. Enjoy your day. Thank you. I didn't realize there was a Pittsburgh march. Uh, I'll be there. Thank you all so very much. Appreciate it. I'll be back tomorrow. Hope to be joined by my sister Susan. And uh, meanwhile, my best. Breathe. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.